We need the Lord, do we not? Amen. Amen. Pray that that's your prayer this morning. God, I need you. And how fitting of a song uh, as we open God's word once again and begin, be, uh, continue our series through the life of Elijah, uh, simply called Against the Grain. And today, the title of the message is Desperate Times, because we all face them. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah is in a very desperate time. So can we pause and ask for the Lord's help before we dive in this morning. Father, we need you. Lord, may that not just be the confession of a song we sing, but really the longing of our hearts. Lord, incline us to you this morning. May we see our desperation and may we bring it to the foot of the cross. Help us. Hide me behind the cross of Christ. Exalt your son in the next few moments. In his precious name I pray. Amen. In 1941, Great Britain stood virtually alone against Nazi Germany. At that point in World War II, virtually all of mainland Europe was either overrun by the Germans or had aligned with the Nazis and the Axis powers. Well, it was, it was a dark day, to say the least. Not only this, not only was Great Britain standing alone, but they were being bombarded day in, day out, night in, night out. Their supplies were diminished. Their ability to fight back was growing lower. In that time, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill, begged the United States for help. There's actually a series of correspondence between FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president of the U.S. at that time, and um, Winston Churchill. Nearly 2,000 letters written between the two of them during this time, and many of them essentially were this, we can't make it without your help. Churchill was convinced that though the British spirit was strong, they simply would run out of resources if the U.S. didn't get involved. And you know the rest of the story. Thankfully, despite the U.S.'s posture of neutrality, they gave Britain warships and eventually entered the war and the Allies were victorious. I bring that up because it illustrates an important phenomenon, namely this, desperation reveals dependency. In other words, when you face a desperate time, when you face a desperate situation, all of your pretenses of self-sufficiency get scraped away and you realize, I need help. I need someone from the outside to step in and rescue me. Someone from the outside to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And we've all been there, have we not? Some of you this morning feel a bit desperate. Maybe it's a health situation. You got this news from the doctor and you just say, this is above my pay grade. I can't do a thing about this situation. I need help. Maybe it's a relationship a marriage, a child, something in your life that's broken and you don't know how to fix it. You don't even have the resources to figure out how to fix it. 
Maybe it's finances or work, this job, it's not working out. I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills and this mountain of debt, whatever it is, you feel the weight of desperation and it is that, is it not a weight? It's ever present, seems to impact every step you take. This weight of desperation often weighs down on us heavily. Let me illustrate that just a bit here. Let let me see. Who's a wonderful... Rick, there you go. This is what you get for sitting in front. Come on down, brother. So we're going to pretend like this. Listen. Ooh, man. Represents a difficult situation. Come on up, Rick. Come on, man. We have big strapping Rick here. Yeah, yeah. Yay, Rick. So Rick, we're going to say that this represents a difficult situation in your life. So can you pick that up, brother? Okay. How's that feel? Feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling good. No, 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 no. You got to hold that situation, man. Yeah, yeah. Situations don't just go away, right? Yeah. So is that heavy? It's moderately heavy. It's moderately heavy. I picked the wrong guy. This guy's like, I'm, I'm going to stand up here all day. You can stand here the whole message. Let's see what happens, Rick. I got the microphone. Aha. Yeah. But, but you feel a weight like this, and the longer you hold it, the more uncomfortable it begins to feel. And you try to maybe even move around with that thing, and it's difficult. It encumbers you. You can't help but think about it because it's so heavy in that regard. How are you feeling now, brother? Yeah, still, still wonderful. All right, yeah. There are two temptations you face when you carry a heavy weight like that. One is, it's the temptation to just crumble under the weight. You ever feel that? You have a heavy situation in your life, and rather than taking the next step, you just let that thing bring you down to your knees. Rick's still standing. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I should have got someone who knows how to act. I mean, that's, yeah. Or who can't find the gym. One of the two. Yeah. The other temptation is just to try to get out from under it like Rick did. Just put this thing down. Here's the problem. You can't do it. Doesn't work very well, right? Sometimes you try to put situations down and they have this nasty way of just following you. And coming back to bite you. (laughs) There it is. Oh, look at this. A thespian in the making, folks. You can see it. Yes. I present to you the great Rick Fields. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So there, finally shifted arms. It's heavy. It's like 50 pounds. This is not a light thing. Should have picked the biggest guy in the auditorium, right? The idea is simply this. I want to propose from you, Lord willing, from the scripture, a third way. Don't be crushed. Don't just try to ignore it and walk away from it. But literally this, God wants you to bring him your desperation. God wants you to bring your desperation to him. Thank you, Rick. Give Rick a round of applause. No, it's heavy, man. Yeah, he just left it there. This is not, look, see? You can't just walk away from your burden. Come on up here after the service. You'll see how heavy that thing is. And here's the reality. The Lord wants your desperation. 
It might sound counterintuitive. It might sound weird. But as you read through the scripture, God consistently invites us to bring our desperation to him. For instance, 1 Peter chapter number 5 says it this way. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Or Psalm 55, verse number 22, cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Or the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28, Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. As strange as it may seem, God desires your desperation. You got some desperation this morning? You got some situations in your life that feel a little bit desperate. I'll tell you what, parenting brings me to my knees more than anything else I've experienced in my life. I've got a hundred children, it's my bad. We've got eight, rages 20 down to four. And they've got all manner of issues between them. And regularly I'm like, I don't know. God, I need you. And I would argue that in your life right now, there are at least a half a dozen situations where you're saying like, Lord, help. I need you. Here's the good news. God is not put off by your ineptness. God is not bothered by your brokenness. God is not offended by your neediness. Rather, he says, come to me. You bring me that mess. You stop trying to carry that on your own. You stop letting, be, letting the burdens of life crush you and weigh you down. Cast your cares on me, for I care for you. And this brings us to 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, if you were with us last time, maybe you remember... The nation of Israel is following the god Baal. They've gone into idolatry. And the Lord sends his messenger, Elijah, to pronounce judgment on Baal and call the nation to repentance. So he does this in front of King Ahab, and then he runs. God provides for Elijah by the brook Cherith by feeding him with ravens. And then he goes to a little town in the nation of Sidon called Zarephath. And there, for years, God provides for Elijah and the widow with a little jar of oil and a little jar of flour, and the bread does not run out. We come back onto the scene. The famine is ending and Elijah is still in Zarephath, and we read that desperation strikes. First Kings chapter 17, verse number 17. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness got worse until he stopped breathing. Now, can you imagine? So God, day by day, miraculously provides for this widow and the child and Elijah. And then like kind of the oil and the jar goes away. There's now food. And right after that happens, the kid dies. That's desperate. 
So what does Elijah do with this desperation? Well, I'll tell you what, he brings it to God. He runs with this desperation to the Lord. But here's the thing. The reason that Elijah was able to take his desperation to the Lord is because he believed certain things about the Lord. In other words, Elijah had a theology of desperation, if I could argue that way. He understood who God was, no matter what his circumstance was. So in the midst of that desperate time, he came running to God and he reminded himself of who the Lord was. And can I tell you something? Can I let you in on a little secret? You won't bring your desperation to God unless you have the same theology Elijah did. You won't run to God if you don't know who God is. And so what I want to tell you this morning, Lord willing, from this text of Scripture, remind us of a couple of characteristics of the God of our desperation, okay? So just two simple things, the God of our desperation. The first thing is this, He is merciful. The thing we have to remember about God if we're to bring our desperation to Him is that He is a God of abundant mercy, Look at what the text says. When the woman sees that her son is dead, she makes a statement that's not only heartbreaking, but it's incredibly insightful. Verse number 18, she said to Elijah, man of God, what do you have to do against me? Have you come to call my attention to my iniquity so that my son is put to death? Essentially, the woman is saying, If I could paraphrase, this is my fault. This is all my fault. Elijah, why are you even here if you're just trying to remind me of my failures in the past? My son is dead because I have done evil things in the past and now you're bringing this to remembrance. She believed in this moment that the reason that her son was dead because God was judging her for something she had done in the past. And we don't know what this woman did. We don't know what her sin is. Only we do know this. She believed that God couldn't forgive her. She believed it was so bad that it still deserved the judgment of God on the, son, on the life of her son. She had what I would call an other shoe theology. What's that mean? Well, she lived her whole life like this. She was always going through life and anything good that would happen, she would wait for the other shoe to drop. Oh, that's good, but mm, God's probably going to get me. Is it, oh, that was nice. And man, seems like Lord provided there, but he's still mad at me. She had this other shoe theology, always waiting for God to be like, boom, gotcha. Can you imagine what was probably going through her head this day after day as God was providing the bread and the oil like day after day? She was probably saying, huh, this is too good to be true. She'd get up the next morning. It's probably not going to happen tomorrow. I mean, it's just a matter of time for this runs out. Oh, if Elijah only knew what I really was, he wouldn't be doing. She had this theology of other shoeness. She's always waiting for God's judgment to fall on her. But can I tell you something? This is not the God of the Bible. The vision of God that she had in these moments was not the God of the Bible. And she was not the first person nor will she be the last person to have these type of thoughts. Just think of some of the other biblical characters. When God calls Amos, 
to go and preach God's word, what does he say? He says, I'm not a prophet or the son of the prophet. I'm not worthy, right? That's what he's saying there. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, what does she say? Hey, why are you talking to me? I'm a woman from Samaria. Why are you talking to me? I'm not worthy. When, when, um, When Jesus multiplied the fish for Peter, what's Peter's response? Go away from me for I am a what? Sinful man. In other words, there is something in me that disqualifies me from receiving your mercy. But we need to turn that on its head, actually. The only qualification, listen very carefully, it's a little bit tangled. The only qualification that God has for you to receive his mercy is to realize that you are unqualified to receive it. That's the only qualification. In other words, you don't have to make yourself worthy to receive God's mercy. You simply have to admit that you are unworthy to receive God's mercy. And this is what the woman got upside down. She's like, God can't be good to me. He's getting me back for what I've done. And Elijah is essentially saying, no, that's not how God operates. God is a God of rich and abundant mercy. Here's how Jesus said it. It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the big idea. Mercy is unmerited. By its very nature, that is the definition of mercy. Mercy is unmerited. When you cry out to God for mercy, you are essentially saying, God, help me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve you to work on my behalf. I don't deserve you to withhold your judgment from me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. You may be like the widow of Zarephath right now. Listen, let me pastor you. You may have got some desperation in your life right now. And you are thinking this. Well, I got myself in this mess. It's really my fault. If I wouldn't have made the choices that I had made, I wouldn't be here in the first place. I don't have any right to go ask God for help. I mean, I sinned. And so this is the consequence for my sin. I don't deserve mercy exactly. But God delights to give mercy to undeserving people. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners, y'all. And guess what? Last time I checked, that's all of us. He came to give mercy to undeserving, unworthy people. That is simply his way. As I was studying for this message, I was struck by another woman from the same region. I was like, Lord, did you do that on purpose? The answer is yes, he did. So this widow from Sidon has a counterpart in the New Testament. I want you to hear her story. Here's what it says over in the gospel of Matthew, verse number 15. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and look at it, Sidon, same place. Just then a Canaanite woman, similar again, from the region came and cried out saying, have, what's it say? Mercy on me. Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely tormented by a demon. 
Jesus responds in a rather unexpected way and apparently discourages the woman. Matthew 15, verse number 24, he replied, I was sent only to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. In other words, I'm not here for you. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered, is it right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog? So this woman is saying, I'm unworthy. I don't deserve it. Have mercy on me. And Jesus said, you're right. You're a dog. You're outside of the nation of Israel. You are not worthy. And the woman responds, you're exactly right, Jesus. Look at what it says, verse number 27. Yes, Lord. Yes, I'm not worthy. Yes, I'm not deserving. Yet even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's saying, Lord, I am not worthy, but you are. I don't deserve your mercy, but you are a God of mercy. And Jesus delights at this woman's response. He exalts in the way that she responds to him. Look at the next verse. It simply says this, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. Listen, there is no misdeed in you greater than the mercy that is in Christ. Are you messed up? Are you broken? Welcome to the club. It's called the human race. Do you got baggage? Do you got closets? Do you got skeletons in those closets? Do you have closets for your closets? I don't know what you have done, but here's what I do know. God is a God of mercy. And that means you don't clean yourself up to come. You come to get cleaned up. He doesn't act because you're good. He acts because he's good. So stop disqualifying yourself because the only qualification you need is to know that you are disqualified. That qualifies you to receive mercy. I know my intellect is dizzying. Run to him. The only way we're going to bring our desperation to God is if we begin to believe with our whole hearts. He is a God of mercy, mercy, mercy. And that means I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. He doesn't want me to clean myself up. He just wants to give grace because that is who he is. But that's not the only thing that Elijah believed about the Lord. He didn't just believe that he was a God of mercy. He believed that God is mighty. No matter the misgivings of the widow, Elijah knew that God was capable of intervening even in this apparently dark situation. Look at verse number 17, 19 of chapter 17. But Elijah said to her, give me your son. He takes this dead body from her in his arms, brought him up upstairs to the room where he was staying and laid, on, laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? So Elijah joins in the desperation of the widow and he brings that desperation to God. Verse number 21, he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, please let the boy's life come back into him again. And God hears his cry. So the Lord listened to Elijah 
And the boy's life came into him again and he lived. Elijah brings the now living boy back to her, his mother. And the widow of Zarephath makes a profound statement. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upstairs room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. In other words, God is dependable. Now, aside from the obvious miracle of the boy being raised from the dead, there's another kind of narrative happening in the subscript, as it were. Something going on slightly beneath the surface. What's happening here? Well, do you remember where Elijah is? Where is he? Zidon. This is the home turf of Baal. Remember the God of fertility and rain that the nation of Israel is worshiping. This is kind of like his home court. This is his place of origin. And, and Elijah, the messenger of God, strolls in to the homeland of Baal and shows the power of God even on Baal's home court. What's going on? God is demonstrating to the widow, to Elijah, and to us simply this. There's no place beyond God's power. There's nowhere God can't work. He's not constrained by geopolitical borders. He doesn't have boundaries, you know, placed there arbitrarily by land masses and things like that. We're all good. God is not some sort of regional duke or earl or baronet. He's the king of everywhere. He is the sovereign of the universe and there is absolutely no place where his power does not extend. Essentially what is happening is, is God through his messenger is strolling in to Sidon the home court of Baal and punching that false God in the mouth and saying, listen, you have no power over me. Here's why this is a good news. It is good news because some of you are in a dark place right now. And maybe you feel your valley is so dark that the power of God cannot reach. You know, the shadows are long, the wolves are many, and the shepherd's voice feels awfully quiet. Can I tell you something? There is no place of desperation that the Lord of the universe does not say, mine. There is no darkness too deep for the light of the world. God rules everywhere. And I don't know where you are right now, but I can tell you this based on the authority of God's word, he's king. His throne's not wobbly. He's not up for re-election. He is secure in his place as the sovereign pope. Valley today.
Isaiah chapter 66 says it this way. Heaven is my throne. You know what the earth is? It's just my footstool. I not only rule over it, I put my feet on it. Or Psalm 103 says it like this. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom above. What's it say, church? All. That means y'all. He's in charge of your life. That's in the Hebrew. It is. All y'all might be the literal translation. He is in charge of all things. He rules and he reigns. And no false god, no dark valley can take away his power from what is happening in your life. I'm able, I'm mighty. This is the God who rescued Daniel from the lion's den. What, by making the lion's den go away? No, by putting Daniel in the lion's den and... God is saying, that seems dark, that seems desperate. I think throwing into a lion's den, that, that qualifies as a desperate situation. just opened all the doors of the prison cell. This is the God we serve. He is mighty. He is merciful. He specializes, it seems, in desperation. He does his finest work when his people run to him with their desperation. Sometimes I am convinced that we don't see the power of our God in our lives quite enough simply because we just will not acknowledge our desperation. We'd like to be self-sufficient a lot more. We'd like to figure it out rather than run to him. You wanna see the power of God? You start confessing your need for him. Start disqualifying yourself and making yourself qualified. You know, I don't know if any of you guys remember this, but when I was in Sunday school growing up, we used to sing a little children's song called He's Able. You know this? It goes, he's able. He's able, I know he's able. I know my God is able to carry me through. This is some good theology, y'all. Listen, he healed the brokenhearted. He set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again. He caused the blind to see. And so the result is, I know he's able. It's just a reminder, it's God's resume. And does not God have a resume in the scripture? Amen? Does not God have a resume in your life? Let's remember that he is mighty. His arm is not weak. He's stronger than Rick Fields, for Pete's sakes. He does not grow weary. He does not wear out. He does not grow tired of his people. He, folks, is able. Do you believe that? He's able. 
And if you believe he is merciful and he is mighty, when you are desperate, where are you going to go? But if you're desperate and you don't believe he's either merciful or mighty, you're not going to bring that desperation to him. I'm going to encourage us to respond to that in just a minute and actually try to bring our desperation to God this morning. But I want to give you one more stroke that I think is in this story. Absolutely, Elijah was desperate. Absolutely, the widow was probably even more desperate. But there was one more person that was the most desperate in this story. You know who it was? The boy. Because he was dead. When you're dead, you're completely hopeless. You've got no power, no strength, no might in yourself, no resources, no ability. You can't even pray anymore. You're dead. And yet God in his mercy and in his might did the unthinkable. And I don't know if you've ever read this story before, but God performed this miracle in a unusual way. Look at what it says, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 21. Then he, Elijah, stretched himself out over the boy three times. Okay, just see that right there. Stretched himself out of the boy three times. And he cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, my God, please let this boy's life come into him again. I think the reason that God tells the story this way is because he wants us to all locate ourselves in the story. And he wants ourselves, we, he wants us to see ourselves as the boy who was dead and powerless in the most desperate of desperate situations. And then along came the representative of God and essentially put his hands to our hands his feet to our feet, his face to our face. Could I say his life for our life? Three times. And said, Lord God, resurrect this corpse. I think the point of this is to point to the new and better Elijah. Who would come and stretch out over his people. And say, God, my life for their life. My resurrection for their resurrection. And any spiritual corpses that would experience my power would be raised again. This is a story not just about the might and the mercy of God to the prophet Elijah, to the widow of Zarephath, but this story ultimately points to the mercy and might of God for dead people like you and me. Jesus came into the world and transferred his life to the life, the spiritual lifelessness of anyone and everyone who would ever dare to put their hope in him. And if you would trust in Jesus, no matter how desperate your situation, no matter how despicable your condition, you will be raised. Ephesians puts it this way, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, and you were, what's it say, church? You were what? Dead. And why were you dead? In your trespasses and your sins. 
man, you were like the widow of Zarephath. You had the baggage. You had the brokenness. But then verse 4 beautifully says, but God, who is rich in, what's it say, church? Mercy. Not because you deserved it. Not because you earned it. Because he's got so much mercy, he don't know what to do with it. He's not like, you know, stable in mercy. He's not like above average in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He's got mercy falling out of his pockets to give to his people because of his great love that he had for us. And he made us alive with, what's it say? Christ. It's not your own life anymore. You're not made alive by your own resources. You're made alive by the life of Christ, even though we were dead. You are saved by grace. <laughs> Listen, if God can step in to that degree of desperation, spiritually dead people, it doesn't get any more desperate than that. You're not spiritually sick, you're spiritually dead. You're not in spiritual hospice care. You're spiritual morgue. If God can step in to that degree of desperation in your life, can't he work now? In whatever desperation you got going on, it may feel heavy. It may feel overwhelming, but can I tell you this? The God of the Bible is a God of mercy. The God of the Bible is a God of might. And I don't know how he's going to respond to your desperation. He doesn't always act exactly the same way. Remember last patches, ravens, widows. He does different things in different situations. But I do know this. He won't rebuke you for asking. Because he invites you to bring all that desperation to him time and time again. What else can he say? What else can he do to prove that he wants your mess? He wants your brokenness. He wants your heartbreak. He's not put off. He welcomes them. So I want to invite us this morning to be a little vulnerable, a little bit transparent, and respond to God in this way. I want us not to just say like, oh yeah, pastor, we need to bring our desperation to the Lord. When I get home, I'll do that. Uh-uh, let's do it now. So I'm gonna invite us to pray several things, okay? I'm gonna give you several categories of desperation. I'm gonna list them out. And when I say them, I'm gonna invite you to stand, okay? So this is the piece of vulnerability. I'm gonna invite you to stand. You don't have to say anything about this situation. I'm just gonna say, if this category applies to you and you wanna receive ministry from the people of God, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And when you stand up, I'm gonna ask people to pray for you. So for instance, let me show you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let Tyler right here be my guinea pig. So I'm gonna say, hey man, if you've got an issue with a, um, a, a job situation, would you stand? So Tyler's gonna stand. And then I'm going to say, hey, for all the folks standing, you go pray over me. And you just put your hand on his shoulder and say, Lord, would you help my brother right now to bring this desperate situation to you? Would you help him to trust that you are merciful and that you are mighty? You don't need to know all the details, but you can pray and intercede. Thank you, Tyler. So that's what I'm going to invite you to do. Everybody got it? Give me a thumbs up. That's not very Baptist, but let's do that. All right. So here's the first thing. 
Maybe you got a situation in your life right now. You have a health issue or you have some sort of personal struggle. I mean, it's just just a personal issue. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's just like, man, I'm just worried. I'm anxious all the time. I'm not sleeping. Man, I'm struggling with this pattern of sin. I just don't know if I can ever change. You got some issue that's personal or health related. Um, I want to invite you right now. Would you stand up? This is the point. You got to be bold. You got to be bold right now. So stand up. Amen. Amen. Okay, great. Just take a second. Great. All right, church. Will you go pray over these folks right now? Go find somebody and pray over them. Just lay your hand on them. Begin to intercede on behalf of our mighty and merciful God. All right, wherever you're at, you can sit down right where you're at. You don't have to go back to your seat. We're going to move again here. Okay, next area of desperation you might have. Man, maybe you are really struggling in your workplace. As a coworker, you're really having a hard time loving or a job situation just isn't working out the way that you had hoped it would work out. Or maybe there's a financial issue in your life right now. Man, you made a bad choice. You got some debt. You don't see a pathway clear. Maybe there's some sort of emergency. How are we going to pay for this? Man, our car just blew up. What are we going to do? Can I encourage you to receive ministry from God right now? If you have a work, maybe you're without a job right now and you need a job, a work situation or a financial issue. Would you just stand on your feet? Stand on your feet. Amen. Amen. Great. All right, let's go minister to these folks that are standing right now. Maybe right now you're saying, man, I'm desperate because I got a relationship that's out of whack. Maybe it's my marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with a child. Maybe it's a friend. Something's gone sideways in one of these and I'm just broken. I don't know what to do. Maybe it's somebody who is far from the Lord and you are just broken that they would come to know Jesus. You got some relationship in your life that is not what you want it to be. Can we just get desperate before the Lord and ask for his help? So let's stand up if you need prayer over some relationship in your life. Don't be embarrassed. Okay, great. All right, go find somebody and pray over them. Somebody standing, pray over them. You can make your way back to your seats. Amen. Isn't that good? Receive ministry to give ministry to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to ask right now if a few of our elders and elders' wives, if you guys would just make your way to the back. And I would be remiss... If I didn't mention just one more area of desperation. If you hear this and say, man, I'm desperate because I don't know if I have a relationship with God. I don't know if I have received that resurrecting power that Jesus gives to all that trust in him. And I'm curious. I feel desperate right now. I feel isolated from the Lord. I feel far from him. I want to know Jesus in the way that's described in the scripture. Man, there are some folks in the back right now. If you feel a sense of isolation from God, 
they would love to pray with you and encourage you and open God's word so that you could receive, receive this blessing that God desires to give. He's merciful. He's mighty. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your story is, but I do know that God never turns away those who come to him in repentance and faith. If that's you, man, these folks would love to pray with you. We're gonna sing in just a moment. I'd encourage you to just slip on back. You don't have to make a big show of it, but they would love to talk with you or pray with you in just a minute. Here's what I'm gonna do before we worship God in song. I wanna pray over us one passage of scripture from Psalm 121. So if you would all just kind of symbolically turn your hands like this and just receive this from the Lord. He's mighty, he's merciful, and we all need to remember that, right? Y'all got some level of desperation in your life right now? Let's receive the promises of God. Let's believe them. Here's what the Bible says. We lift up our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, he will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Listen to this church. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Why? Because the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. I said God will keep your life. He will keep your going out. He will keep your coming in from this day forth and forevermore. Where does our help come from, church? Our help comes from where? Can you say the Lord? Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. Where does our help come from? Oh, we need him. We need the Lord's help. And he is ready, willing, and able to respond to his people. So let's respond to him in faith. Church, can you stand on your feet and worship the help that comes from the Lord today?